Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Raiders! Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. All right, here we go on a Friday. Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I'm Steve Cofield. If you uh, live here in Vegas, you know... The name, the voice, over on uh, ESPN Las Vegas. We have a bunch of sports stations here at Lotus Broadcasting. So, twelve thirty, the game, and of course, another one of our sister stations is uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas. So, Q is on the road, but not like he normally is. He's actually on vacation. I know you guys know that. So, I'll be uh, starting things off here, and then in the middle of this hour, our good buddy John Von Tobel. I think you've heard him uh, at least yesterday. Here on Raider Nation Radio, he'll be taking over. But we got a, a loaded show, a bunch of cool guests. Uh, Mark McMillan, former NFL player who played at Alabama, is up. And listen, with what happened yesterday in college football, the upheaval between Saban and Jimbo Fisher. So we'll get Mark's take in just a little bit on what's going on there. So we start out with uh, some local notes. Here in Las Vegas, by the way, DeMond's alongside, so DeMond will be chiming in throughout the show. A couple of local notes here in Las Vegas. Believe it or not, I actually wanted to start out today giving a pop to the Las Vegas Aces. If folks don't know, the Aces are owned by MD, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders. And they had a game last night, and Mark Davis was there along with uh, Fred Bolitnikoff, and there were some women there. I didn't know who they were, but they were sitting courtside. Of course, there were lots of women in the crowd, and there were women on the court. And if you don't know, the Aces are pretty damn good. So they're out to a 4-1 and one start, and yesterday they shot the lights out to start the game. They made four straight threes. They went 9-9 nine and nine to begin the game. They actually didn't have a big lead after the first quarter. They were up 26-25. They wound up winning 93 to 87. So again, they're out to a four and one start. The crowd was okay. Probably about 2000 at the uh, Mandalay arena, which is now called the Mick ultra arena. I'll give you a couple of things. At least my observations. First of all, if you didn't know, Becky Hammond is the coach. So Becky Hammond is over from a long stint in the NBA with the San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, she has been mentioned as someone who could, break barriers and maybe be the first female coach in the NBA. And she's waited and she's waited and she's waited. And I think she's gotten some interviews here and there. And she's been mentioned for a few men's college basketball jobs, but she jumped at this opportunity to be a head coach. And she's been a head coach in the summer league for the Spurs team, but she jumped at this opportunity and she was paid. So, you know, the aces for the season play less than 40 regular season games. Becky Hammond's getting a million dollars in salary. So this was a big get for Mark Davis, and he really wants to invest in the Aces. And I'll tell you, watching her was super impressive, and I'm not grading this on, like, male, female, and the way people coach. Her coaching style is super composed, and I cover a lot of basketball, and I cover 
the Mountain West Conference, and you know, I've covered college basketball for like whatever thirty years now, and you see over the years how coaching styles have been changing, right? So there's the old guard, and some of the new guards still do it because they learn from the old guard. But there's the old guard. There's a whole group of guys who are just in the players' asses the entire game. They're yelling at the officials the entire game. They're micromanaging. They're standing up the whole time. And I've never really understood it. Um, and I'll, I'll list guys like Bobby Hurley, right, who is at Arizona State. He's one of these guys. You remember Bobby Hurley. He played for Duke, and everyone in Vegas hates him. Uh, he's one of those guys. He He's just screaming and yelling, and he's on the officials the entire game. Steve Alford is the same way. He was at UCLA, New Mexico, and a former Bob Knight player. And, of course, you know, Knight was kind of the same way. So that's who you learn from. And now Alford's at Reno, and Alford does the same thing. He just rides people. But it's also the coaching style. It's just you know, your, your players are looking over their shoulder. They're ready to get yelled at all the time. You make any sort of mistake. I'll tell you, Becky Hammond's so impressive because these are the coaches I favor. If you prep your team the right way before the game, Practice, right? I know Allen Iverson kind of laughed at practice, but that's what practice is for, is to be ready for just about every in-game situation. And you don't have to flip out every time something goes wrong. And the lead guard on the Aces is a woman named Kelsey Plum. Well, Kelsey Plum, you know, I don't. I was just going to like make a, a comparison to a male player. I don't need to do that. It's kind of insulting when you do that. But she's a downhill player, but she makes a lot of mistakes, right? Because she dribbles into, she overpenetrates, but she's hyper-aggressive. And a lot of good things happen from it because she's, frankly, she's faster and more aggressive than a lot of the other women on the floor. And Kelsey Plum will make errors. And I never saw, I, I, you got you to watch a game with Becky Hammond, DeMond, because she, the whole time she's just like, just arms crossed. Does a couple hand signals. She does not scream. She does not yell. There is no because the other thing coaches do is the micromanaging with the timeouts. Like every freaking time something goes, ah, timeout, let's go. Yeah, you know, she like everything was allowed to play out. Um, I love what they're doing, and they go fast, 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 fast. And frankly, by the end of the game, the Lynx, who were probably a little bigger team, and they've got Sylvia Fowles, who I'd ever I'd never actually seen up close, who she's six seven, six six. Um, weight listed at 217. And the reason I mention it is she's a freaking brick, you know what house. Like her her legs and her rear end, like just a big, strong lady. But you know what? Now that we're going towards smaller ball in a lot of areas, hey, you have a big out there, you gotta run. And they ran her, and she was pretty fresh at the end of the game. She's still very good at 36 years old, but I loved the style that Becky Hammond is playing. And I'm sure Mark Davis was freaking thrilled watching his team get out to a four and one start. Um, they play really entertaining basketball. The product at Mick ultra around the game, super entertaining. They got a lot of giveaways. Um, I thought it was interesting. There's music playing almost the entire time. Basketball traditionalists freaking hate it, but I kind of liked it. It actually drowned out the guy behind me who had like a freaking drum, the whole game. I'm like, boop, boop. I'm like, all right. Um, but it was entertaining. The other thing they did, it was Bill Lambeer night. So they honored Bill Lambeer. Well, Lambeer was with the Aces as a coach and president of the organization um, when Davis bought the team. And he really, you know, when you think about it, women's basketball and a professional league kind of needed, you know, in the wrestling terms to kind of get over with a bigger audience. And sometimes having traditional mainstream names involved, like Bill Lambeer, who's a legendary figure in the NBA, you know, from back in his days with the Pistons, the fact that he signed on and he coached in the WNBA for so long really was significant. I kind of forgot about it. And the more I heard the ladies talk about his contributions, like you get it. Like it was a big deal that Bill Lambeer, I mean, he could have just 
toiled around the NBA, been one of these guys, and there's a lot of them, and it's not an embarrassing thing, but been, you know, a 28-year assistant with the men, right? But instead, he rolled the dice. He went with the women, and they treated him really well. Um, his family was there. I was kind of wondering how this was all put together, but he talked about it after the game. Actually, Willie Ramirez, who's with uh, Lotus Broadcasting NAP, grabbed this audio, but Lambeer was talking about uh, his experience. He also he gave a nice shout-out to Mark Davis. My daughter said, um, this is, have you ever been watching a game in live and you've never been coaching? I couldn't remember such. But I think today was, I appreciate Mark and Nikki bringing me, my, they brought along my family here also, which is wonderful. And I enjoyed today because I watched the players play a different style than I coached, which is more, very important. I, I, my style got us to a point and didn't win. We came close, but didn't win. Um, so it's somebody else's time. Who does that, right? Sorry for the hard cut at the end there. Um, they didn't win, right? Who does it? What coaches do that? What legendary basketball players do that where they admit as a coach, they were like, eh, you know what? I was good, but they needed something new. And now they're getting it with Becky Hammond. And I was so glad to hear him shout out Mark Davis because Mark Davis has put a lot of money into this team. That million-dollar salary like blows every other female coach out of the water in the WNBA. He's made a commitment. Uh, he's made a commitment by making sure they go and get you know better and better players along the way. They're pouring money into that place. So I highly recommend getting out to a game. Um, there's a game tomorrow at Mick Ultra Arena. That's a noon start. It's actually going to be on ABC. Uh, that's against the Mercury. And if you noticed the other day, the Mercury were almost brawling on the bench because Diana Taurasi is a hard ass. I have no idea what that even means in relation to the rest of the team. But... She almost got in a fight with Skylar Diggins, and last night, Skylar Diggins was out non-COVID-related issues. So there's something going on with the Mercury, so we'll see if they have it together tomorrow. And then my favorite, not really, player in the league, I think the biggest uh, pain in the ass in the league is uh, Liz Cambage, right, from Australia, who was with the Aces, 6'8", and she's oh, there's always something going on. There's always some drama. She's in on Monday, so... Get out to games. I'm telling you, they're, they're, it's a good show. It's easy to get in and out of uh, Mandalay Bay. The arena's cool. They they did like a $50 million uh, rehab of it about five years ago. The seats are much better. The the lights and everything. The music's great. It's very cool. So I'm, I'm stoked to have the Aces here in Las Vegas. We got the Aviators on the west side of town in their 10,000-seat stadium, which, by the way, the LVCVA and public money. They threw $75 million at that, right? Um, Mark Davis, that's his money for the Aces. And obviously Mandalay Bay putting their money, you know, MGM Resorts putting their money into the arena, right? We've got the Golden Knights here. That's a whole private investment, right, with Bill Foley paying $500 million to get into the league and uh, AEG and MGM. They built that arena, you know, $450 million, ground up, awesome location nestled right in this strip, right? So... Now we're in this zone. We have a lot of teams here, right? So we spent $750, $750 million of our money, and then Mark Davis put in you know, another probably $1.4. We're going to have to do the roads and all that, so there's a, a private-public partnership there for Legion, which is fabulous. We needed a football stadium. We needed a big stadium. We're getting all these other events. I think to break even, they said you know, eight years ago when we were debating on this whole thing, they needed 52 events a year. They're going to go way beyond 52 events a year. Uh, we've got a project on the way potentially to get an NBA team here. Mark Bedane is actually heading that one up with Tim Lywicki, who's a big you know stadium guy, arena guy. 
all over the country. We're looking to build another 20,000-seat arena that's on the south end of what we'll call the Strip. If you're not super familiar with Vegas, it's uh, probably about four miles south of Mandalay Bay, right off of Las Vegas Boulevard, right? We've had a, a planet at the Wet and Wild site, which is up on LV Boulevard near the Sahara, a little bit north of where the convention center build-out is and Resorts World. And if you know Old Vegas, Riviera, Stardust, is just north of that. Um, there's a former UNLV player who's got a part of that land, massive piece of land, talking about building an arena there. So, like, this is a, a hot deal right now. MLS, right? MLS um, might want to come here. The owner of the Bucks, Edens. He wants to be part of an MLS project, which could go by the new Mark Bedane 20,000-seat arena. And then there's the A's, <laughs> which I know on Raider Nation Radio 920, this, this could go anyway with this audience, right? We have a lot of Raiders fans listening right now, especially up on the web. And I know there was, you know, there were some difficulties with the Raiders and the A's and the stadium and Oakland and all that, right? But I also know there's got to be a lot of Raiders fans who were A's fans or still are A's fans, are probably really pissed off by what's going on right now. And I'm here to tell you, we're in this bizarre zone with a Major League Baseball team where the fans of Oakland are irate. The A's have this guy out front, their president, Dave Cavill, who's trolling people up on social media like three weeks ago. He was going after a local talk show host. Not sure that I should mention 95-7 the game around any Raiders fans, but, you know, that was the old station. But anyway, so this, this guy's quite the character. He's a weird guy. Like, oh, he's stirring the pot, ruffling feathers. Now, they're trying to get a deal done up there, and they're using us, I believe, here in Vegas as leverage. Well, if this is for real, right? And we've got one writer in the local paper who is fed the stuff from Cavill, and maybe from some local people here. And we've had this whole narrative going down for like a year while Libby Schaff and Oakland is trying to you know figure out with the city council this whole thing at the Howard Terminal. Vegas. Vegas is in the offing. Better get it done. Vegas. And those of us on the ground, I just, I just gave you all of the stadiums and arenas we have. Not all of them. There's even more. And some on the way, right? And I told you which ones are publicly funded. There's not a whole lot of hunger here to give more public money to teams. We got the Raiders. That was our ticket to buy our way into the NFL. The NFL really didn't like Vegas until, you know, it was going to embrace sports gambling. So we had to pay a big ticket to get in. So this A's thing has dragged on in the Oakland area. We keep getting updates, and it's like a little countdown, right? Hey, they, you know, they toured Cavill and the organization. They came in, and they... They toured 10, 11, 12 sites. And about every month, we get an update. Oh, they're down to eight. They're down to five Vegas sites. So then, within the last half hour, we get an update. By the way, the five sites, the eight sites, the 12 sites, never specified. Which I have found completely ludicrous and, and has me apprehensive, cynical. So I'm like, wait, where are these sites? You keep mentioning you, you toured all these sites. We're not, we're not going to mention them. We're going to have a discussion about them. So they had supposedly five. Now they're down to two. 
So our local paper, as the A's apparently are touring Vegas for the last, you know, nine to a year, says they're down to two sites. So I just, you know, it came out probably about 240, or check that, 148, right? We're on at 2 o'clock Pacific. You read through the story, and once again, it's probably a 17-inch story. There's nothing about the sites. All it says is down to two sites, and they're going to be on the resort corridor. So we'll come back. I'll tell you what that means. And then I do have to get to some great audio from this week from two guys named Wright. One is real down on the Raiders. Another one is predicting the Raiders are the best team, the best team in the AFC West. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 is brought to you by Southern Nevada Chevy Dealers, home of the Chevy Silverado, the strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. Wait, was that the opening drive we did before the break or now? <laughs> now it's the opening drive. It is? Yeah. That was my opening drive to start. Oh, so, yeah, uh, we, ta- yeah, we talked we- about the Aces. We were talking about the A's. And I know a lot of people, you know, Raiders fans hate the A's, but the A's are trying to use Vegas as a negotiating pawn. Is it real that they may come here? I think it's like a 20% chance, but... The A's keep playing it up, and they have some local media people who will cooperate with them. So, story just came out a little while ago. The A's are now down to two sites in Las Vegas. Okay. Where's all this money coming from? That's a big question. Um, And they also have never specified a site, which I think is part of the shell game they're playing. But today's story says that the Oakland A's, when they're looking at Vegas, are down to two sites on the Strip Resort Corridor, which, by the way, that could mean almost anything because I consider the strip corridor uh, from basically, if you know Vegas, and we got a lot of Vegas listeners obviously here on Radio Nation Radio 920, I would go all, LV Boulevard all the way down to Blue Diamond slash Windmill all the way up to the stratosphere, right? So think about all the places, and by the way, width wise, over to Koval on the east side, and I'll say Dean Martin on the west side. So that's all the area they could put. If they're talking about a stadium, they could put an A stadium in. So they're not really specifying a whole lot. They want to build a domed $1 billion stadium. Uh, I'll tell you the perfect place to build it, and this is the drama of this whole thing. The perfect place to build it is a site, Wild Wild West, which is at Trop and 15. They're going to redo the Trop and 15 interchange that is just north of the stadium. And you would have all the big arenas and stadiums in one area. You could walk from the baseball stadium down to the Al, and you could probably build a pedestrian bridge over to T-Mobile. Now, will that happen? No, I don't think, because I don't think the Raiders want the A's anywhere near them. So here we are again. We're talking about the A's. They have two sites, but they won't specify the site. So I still think this is mostly a game. It's a ploy, but, you know, that's what they have to do to drum up some of that interest. you know what? They they don't really have to do it. There's a deal in place in Oakland. Negotiate your deal. It's going to be a $12 billion facility with a baseball stadium at Howard Terminal. They're there. All they have to do is get through some hurdles with environmental stuff and the city council 
But I think they're they're trying to put more and more pressure on Oakland. There's, it's a weird ownership group, man. It's really weird. And I, that kind of stuff, I don't know if it's going to fly. And then they threw in the story about, ooh, public money from Nevada and Las Vegas could be a possibility, which I think is actually just throwing it out there to get a reaction. So speaking of that, I'm not saying that every TV person trolls all the time, because I don't think they do. But I will tell you, trolling is part of the game for the talking heads on TV. Nick Wright is one of those guys. I like Nick Wright. He's creative. But you also, like he went crazy last week when they named what? the uh, Was it the Eastern Conference and Western Conference um Finals MVP, whatever the hell it was, after Bird and oh, Magic. The war- right? Oh, yeah, because yeah, he's the LeBron Bird guy. And, Magic. and he was like, this is outrageous, LeBron! And you know, he's just like, he just wants to tweak every guy my age and older who love Bird and Magic. It's part of the game, right? And and everyone does it. He made some good points, though. Um, well, I'm more of a modern-day basketball guy, but I, I like Bird and Magic. Um, I, won't, I won't get derailed by that comment, right? So... Nick Wright puts out a list, and I saw Raider Nation, Raider blogosphere, Raider Twittersphere went crazy over this. Nick Wright puts out a standings list for the division and has the Raiders at 6 and 11. He's got the Chiefs at 12 and 5. So, of course, you know, folks, don't take the bait. I know it's fun to talk about this stuff, but sometimes it's so, it's so absurd. Raiders are not going 6 and 11. Okay, but it's so absurd that if you take the bait, all you're doing is feeding the beast. You're giving him what he wants. They're not going six and eleven. So, but kudos to Nick Wright. He got he got response right. Talking about the AFC West, KJ Wright has experience with the team, has experience in the National Football League. He's on NFL Network the other day, so we got a battle of the rights here, right? Nick Wright six and eleven. KJ Wright starts talking about the division. Listen to what he says about the Chiefs. And when I look at the offseason they put together, I, I didn't like it. Look at, leave, letting Tyreek Hill leave that building is going to take some time to overcome. You cannot just let him leave the building and expect to still be number one in that division. Okay, so he thinks the Chiefs made a mistake? You think he did? They definitely made a mistake letting Tyreek Hill leave that building. I don't think they did. I think at some point you have to be cost-effective and you can only pay certain guys uh, north of $15 million, and I don't think there's any wide receiver. Oh, hold on. I better not say this. Um, I think 29 or $30 million for a receiver is risky, and I know that the Raiders have done it with Devontae Adams. Um, Devontae Adams has also been a solid citizen. Tyreek Hill can be a pain in the ass, and it's not just the stuff that has been alleged in the past. He's been penalized for in the past. Some of that has actually been cleared up. His name has been cleared. But as a smaller guy and a speed guy, I'm not paying that dude $30 million a year. And they had to make a decision. Someone's got to go at some point. They can't pay all these defensive linemen. Can't have Kelsey, Mahomes. You can't have nine guys making, you know, $15, $17 million plus. And I think they got a great haul back. And the Chiefs are really good in the draft. So I guarantee you they got some players who are going to fill in. They have stars. You got to have some cheaper guys who can contribute. So I, I actually, I like what they did. Now listen to KJ Wright's excitement for the Raiders, who he thinks actually can be the best team in the division. Who's number one is going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. That's who I have as number one. And when you look at the offseason they put together, bringing in Josh McDaniels, he is the quarterback guru. He has a blueprint to getting guys to the Super Bowl. And when you pair him with Derek Carr, you bring Derek Carr's favorite weapon in and Devontae Adams. I cannot wait to see those guys go to work this year. Me either. Right? Me either. All of us. We want to see it. Could be a monster year offense. Here he talks about the Raiders defense and what it's added. 
on the defensive side, we haven't got to defense. Bringing the best, in my opinion, pass rusher in Chandler Jones, pairing him with Max Crosby is going to be a fun time to watch. And so the Raiders are number one in this division. All right, that was the key at the end. Raiders are number one in this division. If you look at the odds board, Raiders are actually fourth on the odds board for the division, plus 550. Chiefs are number one at plus 170. Uh, John Von Tobel's in. We're both in 4Q. Q's on vacation. Raider Nation Radio 920 here on a Friday. John, of course, is a host on all of our Lotus Broadcasting stations, and he did a good job yesterday helping fill in with Adam Candy. And then his full-time job is down at VSIN, so he's a big odds guy. Who's closer to being right? KJ Wright, the Raiders are the best team in the division, or Nick Wright, the Raiders are going to go 6-11. and 11. Which right is right? I'll go KJ Wright. Really? Yeah. Mainly because, so I think the the Raiders are a playoff team. I think they should be a playoff team, right? So theoretically, the distance you have to travel to get to the top is shorter than the distance to the bottom. So I would say that KJ Wright is probably closer than Nick Wright. But I think they're also on polar opposites, and the Raiders are just right smack in the middle, more realistically. Right. So the Raiders would have to to be, as you said, realistic for the division title, probably have to get two more wins. So go from 10 to 12, right? 10 to six. What happens there? I mean, that's injury. I mean, you know, that's, one of the, that's Derek Carr going down, right? That's Derek Carr, that's Derek going, Carr down. going down. And like you lose every, like you have seven close games and you go on seven. Well, and they have a lot of coin flips on, on the, on the schedule. Like a lot of those point spreads are within a field goal. So those are a lot of coin flips that could go the wrong way. Um, it's also like regression defensively, right? If like Max Crosby all of a sudden drops off and you're not getting pass rush and those sort of things. But I think that's like the the worst case scenario possible, a six-win season. Yeah, we got some bets rolling out soon. I know uh, we were going to finalize a bet uh, over on uh, ESPN Las Vegas. Willie Ramirez and I were discussing the Chiefs versus the Raiders with the win total. Okay. What's the bet? Well, I don't know what the terms of the bet are going to be, but the bet will be I was trying to entice him to take the Raiders in a Chiefs minus two and a half wins on the season win total. Do you think I have that number set correctly? Or if that was out of book, would it just get pounded on the Raiders side? So you would he would get Raiders plus two and a half wins for the season? I think that'd probably be favored. That'd be the right. favorite side. So. The, ha- the half is what's screwing me up, I think. Right. I, if so I, I just laid it up, but I want to have a tiebreaker. So I think you're well, probably getting that like minus, like, I don't know, minus 130 or so. Like Raiders would you plus take? two and a half? You take I'd, the go, I'd go Raiders plus two and a half. At minus what? Like minus 130. Minus 180? This is just like me. Yeah, I'm just making this up on the spot no, right no, now. No, I just adjusted like, the just, odds. Minus uh, 180? No, no. Okay. God, no. Oh, yes, yeah. Right, minus 130. No. Okay. I think the max you'd pay on that is like a buck 50 or something. All right. How was VSIN today? It was good. You was sweating out golf. I got Will Zalatoris at 47 to 1 to win this thing. So he really? is a, yeah, he's co-leader right now. Right. Uh, and a lot of NBA, of course. Because, you got a basketball, uh, ga- uh, basketball guest coming up, right? Yeah, Tom Burns here. 6 NBA is going to join us in the second hour. Um, and we have a lot to get to, too, in the second hour. We I, Have you posed my question of the day, by the way? I was told this is a thing. Did you do this? Uh, you know what? I didn't get to announce it yet, so go ahead and do it. Okay, this is it. All righty? All right? Because this is the question of the day. And oh, no. DeMond knows how this works, right? We like to get listener interaction. We're not going to make the same mistake. So Sam and Ash text line 691 seven keyword R and R are the Las Vegas Raiders. One of the 11 best offenses in the national football league, because one data nerd out there says that they aren't. Give me your best. What's up Raider nation. This is a uh, hall of famer, Tim Brown. You're listening to Raider nation radio, nine twenty. <laughs> What's up Raider nation. This is hall of famer, Tim Brown. And you listen to Raider nation, nine twenty. 
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. All right, Q taking a little bit of rest, relaxation. I'm not going to do what Adam Candy did yesterday. It was corny and it was ridiculous. Q out for a little bit. Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for the rest of the way here on Unnecessary Roughness. So we're going to talk about this topic a little bit more, uh, but top 11 offenses based on win share were named uh, by Cynthia Freeland over at NFL Network. Raiders, not among the top 11. Not among the top ridiculous. 11. Ridiculous. Well, it's maybe ridiculous, maybe not. You know these data nerds, and I'm actually very quietly one of these data nerds. I like numbers and stats a lot, but we'll get to that topic momentarily. I know we have a, a couple of callers waiting out there. If you want to get in on the 702-365-9200, let's go out and welcome in Raider Dave out in Denver. Enemy territory. What's up, Raider Dave? Hey, man, friend of the show, friend of all you guys. I appreciate it. Enemy territory, this is just, it's fun to laugh around here. That's all, really. <laughs> um, I don't know what the A's deal is, but where are they going to put something? Are they going to tear down Fountain Blue and put it there? You know, is Wynn going to build a third-side casino and they can just fill in the center? with? I mean, this is ridiculous if they think about it. And you said something earlier that people need to resonate with, and that's the fact that they want 52 events in Allegiant to make it work. Now, concerts that could easily sell out 40,000 instead of 60,000, that's going to be a big competitor to Davis' stadium. If you want Davis' stadium to succeed, you need the city council and get on them and say there's no place for this in this city. Absolutely no place. And as far as the Raiders, uh, I would say that when the Raiders win the seventh game, Nick's name, whenever it's mentioned, needs to be Nick Wrong because KJ is the right one. I like it. Raider Dave, thank you very much. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, – I think Steve uh, Steve Kofi was filling in for the first uh, few minutes here. I think he had it right. Nick Wright is more of a, a reaction guy. So he brought up a really good example, right? So he was very anti-Nikola Jokic to an MVP, and he was making fun of nerds and numbers and data. Uh, but also on his show – and I, I'm sorry, but I don't remember what the name is. And that's not meant as a slight. Nick Wright's really good at his job. First things first. Uh, there we go. Thank you very much, Amon. Uh, first things first. Then today, he brings up on his show shot quality to show why the Dallas Mavericks should have won game one. And it's like, well, come on. Like, which one is it? Do you hate the nerds or do you not? So Nick Wright just wants to get a reaction. Um, but I will say, I do under, like, I think Wright is wrong. I don't think they're going to have a, a six win season. So we'll see. We'll get the nickname in there. All right. We still got Mitch out of New Jersey. Mitch, what's going on? How's it going? Thanks for taking my call. Thank God it's Friday. Yes. What's going on, man? Yeah. Oh, no way. Uh, Ray's going to be 6 and 11. They're going to have to easy have the top 10 offense. I think they not only did well with the defensive line, they added, I like that with their running backs. They got a surplus of running backs. They're going to be top 10, maybe top 7 in offense. They're going to have three guys, in that, three teams in that division is going to be in the top 10 in offense. And you were talking about the Oakland, what's this, the Oakland A's and the, and the Rays battling Oakland now. The Rays, I think Oakland A's should either go to Las Vegas or go to Poland. They, they uh, both of each other, both of them have um, been asked, you know, not, not give in to the other party. Been so uh, unfair to the fans. They don't want the team, and the owners is, is very rich and very cheap. Thanks. Have a nice weekend. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Mitch out in New Jersey. Again, if you want to get in touch, 702 365 9200 for those of you listening on Raiders.com. Yeah, it's 702. That's the area code out here. Check that out. Did he say Poland? No, he said Portland. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, wow, he really doesn't like the A's. I'm like, just send him to Poland. No. We don't want him out here. Now, this is we're building on this because Mitch mentioned this, okay? He said the Raiders, he thinks the Raiders are going to be a top 10 offense. So I was doing some perusing 
on the interwebs, and I noticed an article up on NFL.com. Cynthia Freeland, um, who does, I think, a really good job. And, you know, to let people know about me, because this is my first time up on the show, uh, I love all sports, uh, but I'm very much, uh, very much into, it's now a pejorative term, I like analytics and numbers a lot. I think they paint pictures. I think they're very helpful. Uh, I like it. Big guy on that, okay? I'm also, like, physically a big guy, so it, it all works. <laughs> uh, I'm a nerd. I play video games and everything. Um, but Cynthia Freeland's kind of like, I don't know if this is her official title, but we'll call her one of their data nerds over at NFL Network. And she put out a list, top 11 offenses, and this is based on win share. Okay, so we'll get to win share and what that is. But just to rile up some folks, your top 11 offenses, according to win share via Cynthia Freeland over at NFL Network, number one, the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that's any surprise. Josh Allen's pretty good. Some of the additions they've made, probably going to be one of the better offenses in the NFL. Number one, Buffalo Bills. Number two, the Los Angeles Chargers. Number three, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number four, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Five, the Los Angeles Rams. Six, the Kansas City Chiefs. We have two AFC West teams in here. Seven, Green Bay Packers. Eight, the Dallas Cowboys. Nine, the New Orleans Saints. Ten, the Minnesota Vikings. And 11, the Miami Dolphins. So these are the top 11 offenses based on win share, according to Cynthia Freeland. Now, a few things that stick out about this list, and we should know. This is part of Freeland's own projections here. These rankings based on wind share projections are influenced by both sides of the ball. And this is directly from the article to give you an example of what we're talking about here. Wind share measures each player, position group, and side of the ball's ability to earn slash prevent first downs, points, and touchdowns. Rankings are compiled via average results, so some offenses have great upside, but their projections are extremely volatile due to outsized personnel questions. You can talk about like the quarterback position at Cleveland, what that's, what that's going to look like. That's one of the examples that she gives. And lastly, if you play – and this is, this is the feather in the cap of the Las Vegas Raiders. For those who are offended that the Raiders are not included in the top 11 here, if you play off caliber offenses, the Raiders potentially, could miss out on a spot here because their defenses are so strong that they change game scripts to more conservative outcomes. Opposite's also true. Some teams with poor defenses could feel the top 10 offense because the unit has to work so hard for all four quarters to overcome a leaky defense. So my question would be, first off, for all of you out there, uh, do you think the Raiders are going to be a top 11 offense this year? I think initially when you look at it on the surface, it's a pretty, pretty easy answer, right? Derek Carr, Dante Adams, you have all of these weapons. Like I think this looks like this is going to be a pretty good unit. I think at the very least top 11, but... Here's the thing, and I'll ask you, Damon. I do think it's a little fair to look at this overall when you're talking about projections because it's not a perfect unit. There are questions with this Raiders offense. First and, for, for, uh, first and foremost, Deshaun Reed actually put a piece up in the uh, Athletic today. Questions and what to look for into OTAs. What's this offensive line going to look like? You can make the argument that four out of the five positions outside of Colton Miller are all going to be competitive. Like they're all going to have competitions as to who's going to be playing those positions and offensive lines, a very important unit. And that can derail an entire offense if it's not put together. Yeah, you're right about that. But going back to the list, it made me think of another list. Mike Clay, when he put out his projections, we had him on the show and he said he only had Derek Carr projected to throw 27 touchdowns. And he mentioned that, hey, I think that this defense is going to be good at the running game. So sometimes when it comes to a list like this, I see where they're coming from, where she says that, hey, the Raiders' defense are going to keep them in games more 
Is that, is that kind of what I'm getting at with this win share, what she means by this list, because you are the numbers guy, that the games are going to be a little bit on more on the conservative side because of the defense of the Raiders? I think that could be part of it, but I also think when you look at, so like one of the, some of the observations from the list, right, that I wrote this down. So, for example, if you look at some of the units, they're pretty balanced. So you have like the Chargers, strong offensive line in Austin Eckler, good running game, right? Uh, the Bengals completely overhauled their offensive line. They got Joe Mixon. Green Bay Packers, up uh, uh, excuse me, above average offensive line. AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones. So okay. those, are, you know what I mean. So, but I do. Th- I don't think that the Raiders' there. offensive line is going to be that bad to where they're not a top ten offense in the league. We saw it last year with the Bengals. Joe Burrow, he made it to the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. No quarterback that's made it to the Super Bowl has been sacked that many times. The Titans, also a bad offensive line. Tannehill got sacked a bunch, but they were able to get the number one seed. Where I do think that teams have shown in the league. They can be able to overcome a bad offensive line. The Raiders did it last season, and you come in this season with better offensive weapons. I'm not saying that the offensive line isn't going to matter at all, but I do think that the weapons around Derek Carr being better is just going to make that offense that much better. Yeah, and I I don't think so. I think people will look at this list and take offense to it and be like, come on, this is ridiculous. Of course they're top 11, at the very least. But I think this is also, and I will say this as a numbers guy, this is this is the flaw with projection sometimes. Because I don't think it's a slide against the offensive line. I think you just have unknowns on this offensive line. So when you're talking about projecting how good these guys can be, how good this offensive line can be, when you're going into OTAs and thinking three out of five, potentially four out of five spots are up in the air, what are you projecting for that offensive line when you probably don't really know what you're getting from that offensive line, say for one position, that would be Colton Miller, Right. So I think that's probably part of the projection is what keeps them out of the top 11 in a projection like this, where the offensive lines are unknown. So how do you project that going forward for a team like this? Because I would agree. Your example of Cincinnati is really good. You know, Joe Burrow is a guy who overcame that. Now, they have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. Like That's a pretty deep wide receiving core overall. And actually, to my next point here with the Raiders, which is, and again, going back to Tashawn Reed, he talked about this too in his piece today up in The Athletic, very much worth uh, looking at, which is, what's the rest of the receiving core look like? We know we have Devontae Adams. We know we have Hunter Renfro. And then after that is what? You got four guys like on this roster that you got from other teams. You got two rookies that are coming in as well. The depth in terms of wide receiver, I think, is, again, when you're asking questions, it's not a negative. It's just that when you're somebody who's trying to project forward, what do you do with a bunch of stuff that you don't know how they fit in this roster, how you project for them going forward when it's a bunch of guys coming from different teams? I also think that something that, for Raider fans, what I know is that when you have a big three, We've seen that. You mentioned the Bengals. Mm-hmm. We see it like when you have that big three, that that's all that people are thinking about. And then you have the receiving that's going to be helped with the running game. Kenyon Drake's going to be coming back from injury. Josh Jacobs has mentioned how he wants to be more involved as a receiver, and he wants to improve on his receiving in the offseason. Mm-hmm. So I think that from the fan perspective of, hey, we'll worry about that when we get to it. But it's also the fact that they don't think that they're, they're going to have to worry about it. When you've got two backs that are also good at receiving, and then you have the three-headed monster of Waller, Renfro, and Adams, who cares who that other guy is as long as he's serviceable? Well, what happens when one of them goes down, though? Cross that bridge when you get to it. <laughs> right, right. Well, we'll see. Hey, on the other side, uh, let's find out what you think about this. Again, Raiders, at least in terms of one projection, not a top 11 offense in the National Football League. 702-365-9200. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Q out for a couple of days. Jonathan Von Tobel filling in here on Raider Nation Radio. 
talking about uh, projecting this season for the Las Vegas Raiders from an offensive standpoint. Cynthia Freeland over at uh, NFL Network, who does an awesome job, came out with her uh, windshare projections, top 11 offenses. Raiders not among those. There's a lot of factors, I think, why they would not project to be a top 11 offense and why certain models would not project them to be. And who knows? Maybe they're 12. We only we didn't get the uh, outside looking in there with Freeland, so maybe they're right there on the cusp, right behind the Miami Dolphins. Uh, let's head out to the phone line. Raider Mike is with us. First and foremost, uh, from what I hear, Feliz Cumpleaños. Raider Mike, how old are you? 57. All right, young. What's going on, man? Oh, I ain't young. Come on, man. <laughs> I saw the Heidi game. It's my first game I actually remember. Wanted to kick in the TV screen at a young four-year-old age. <laughs> Just as I did when the tuck rule happened. I kicked in a $3,000 TV after that call was made. So I'm Raider hard. Always will be. Anyway, this offense, are you kidding me? (laughs) We're going to be top five. I guarantee it. And even the pundits, Cowherd, Keyshawn, these guys are saying Derek Carr is going to muscle up and start destroying people. Our line is a little shaky, but I heard Leatherwood is in the room every day, bulking up, lighting up, eating right, and he won the Outland. He played for Bama. He's got two rings already. You don't think that went into his head? How pissed off a guy like that's going to make him? He just looks me. He's going to turn into Leatherface, Leatherwood, which he's going to start hanging people on meat hooks. Trust me. And Andre James, there's no question there. Mm-hmm. And Colt Miller, he's, uh, he's an example of what Leatherwood's going to be this year. He sucked his first year. Everyone laughed at us when Colt Miller was drafted. What are you guys doing? That's, now he's one of the best tackles in the league. I think Leatherwood's going to step up. And Denzel Good, if he hadn't got snapped, he's a great guard as well. And I think Parnum is going to step into that role quite nicely. And what's good about our offensive line? They've all played multiple positions in college. They can switch when it needs to go down like that. I mean, I'm not worried about it. We've got the best receiver in the league. And we've screwed up the entire first round of picks. We had five first-round picks in two years. Look what happened to them. No, we take those two first-round picks this year and say, no, we got a proven commodity that played with Derek. And if you ever seen the Fresno State highlights, the shape of things to come. So Raider Nation, enjoy what's going to happen because it's going to be beautiful. We're going to win the AFC West. We're going to go on a run, ignore the pundits, and just keep the faith. We've backed this guy for eight years. Even the Kardashians are stepping off finally because they know, they see what's in, in, in front of us. It's just going to be beautiful to watch. Step back and uh, enjoy the ride, boys. All right, yeah. Mike. Thanks a lot, man. Happy birthday. And I actually, I think he does bring up some very good points. And Miller was going to be the one that I brought up, which is, look, so I like, I'm a big NBA fan, right? And there's a lot of the times where guys will come in, they're like 18 years old, and after two years, they're like, oh, garbage, bust, tore. Like, give, the, give them time to develop. Miller's a really good example of that. He, Raider Mike is spot on where the Raiders were criticized for Colton Miller and whatnot. Now he is one of the better starting tackles in the National Football League. 
And it's the same thing here. I never want to give up on a dude after a really short stint. So Leatherwood, there is very much a universe in which he comes into this year is very much improved and and becomes worthy of the first-round selection which they use on him. So, yes, like I'm not – this isn't – I don't think we're going to punt on the Raiders in any way whatsoever. And I think when you look at this – and I think that's a really good point, too, about Andre James. I think when you look at this – that's why I think, too, when you – it's really important when you talk about, like, projections and what we're talking about with something like this. You know, it's based on the data that you have – not opposed to uh, the data that is going to be. You can only project so much, but it's based off the numbers that we have. So I think that was uh, spot on. And another happy birthday to Raider Mark. Who do we got here? We got Tim in Texas. What's up, Tim? Hello. How y'all doing? Good. How are you, man? I was just coming. Okay. Um, the, one of the main things that I like uh, with, the, with the Raiders getting Devontae Adams is I think that they kind of reshaped everything um, uh, a little bit in the AFC and, and the AFC West. Because with them getting Devontae Adams and then um, the Chiefs uh, um, uh, with Tyreek Hill, how he uh, how the, the, the signing of, of Devontae Adams basically basically is the reason why come uh, that he's not with the Chiefs anymore because he wanted a bigger contract. And then shipping him over like they did, I think that's going to help us win the AFC West. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's. I think it is a very interesting dynamic that you had these two teams in the same division. One decided we're not paying a wide receiver. One decided we can we can patch this thing together. We have a good quarterback, wide receiver, almost coming, almost becoming like a running back for certain teams, right? Where they're just like, we'll just draft young, we'll just keep cycling these guys in and out. And the other team, the Raiders, were like, no, we'll ship off assets and we'll get a proven commodity in Devontae Adams. And how that works, right? Like those are two diverging paths, and how that works is going to be pretty fascinating. But I think also with the Raiders, where they've already tried that other approach of draft young and let's see how the young guys work out. Mm -hmm. Brian Edwards, they just traded him. Henry Ruggs, unfortunate. Lynn Bowden Jr., never even got to see him touch the field. So where it's the point of, let's get the proven guy in. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's it's also it's that you know double-edged sword, but let's at least see how that other one plays out. Proven commodity and guy with a track record with the dude that we have at quarterback, right? Played together at Fresno State. There's a relationship there. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. And all this to be said, too, uh, I do think the ceiling for the Las Vegas Raiders, like they could definitely be a top 10 offense in the National Football League. And I'm also, because, again, we're just getting to know each other here on Raider Nation Radio. I haven't been here a lot. Uh, Steve can corroborate this. I think I've been one of the biggest Derek Carr fans and supporters for a while. I think a lot of teams would kill for a dude like Derek Carr. Uh, I'm a Colts fan. When the rumors were out there that they'd ship him off for a first-round pick to Indianapolis, I was like, sign me up, baby. I think he would totally raise the floor of that team. Second hour on the way. When we come back, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we actually spoke about yesterday, but there's been some more fallout from um, Nick Saban and the madness that ensued between him and Jimbo Fisher. Mark McMillan, former NFL defensive back, is going to join us on the other side.